0: Hi Jeffrey, it's great to meet you. And obviously the film I Am Divine was on and how that opened the festival yes how was that
1: oh, it was wonderful that was it was our international premiere we wow. screened the film we had our world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival oh, in, yeah. in Austin Texas yeah and um, this is our international premiere. it's also our first screening at a queer film festival ah. so the feeling in the air is very different uh, yes. because I think there's a lot of love that comes even before seeing the movie there's a lot of love for divine out there so yeah I think the people who are already fans of divine or the work of John Waters were there and got a, a much deeper appreciation of who this who this person was.
0: Okay. Well I wanted primarily to actually talk about Vito and the documentary that was screened last year as part of the festival but is out on D V D just later this month. And I, I just recently watched it and, and loved it. It's brilliant. You. And tell me a bit about what drew you to Vito Russo and his story.
1: The first time I really heard about Vito Russo was through his book, The Celluloid Closet. And even yeah. before I personally came out, I knew who he was. That was sort of the Bible of, of gay film. And yes. so when as part of my own coming out process, that was something I gravitated to naturally, is reading The Celluloid Closet, yeah. uh, getting obsessed with the book, and trying to see every movie that Vito wrote about. Because he wrote about movies that I had never heard of or movies that I had seen already, but taught us to sort of look at them in a different way or read between the lines and Mm. look for the references that maybe a a mainstream audience might not have picked up on. Well of
0: course you look for those things because you're so desperate to find some representation.
1: Yeah exactly I mean as queer people we're always sort of going through life trying to figure out who's gay who's lesbian who you know (laughs) with your gay dog. yeah yeah. who's who's family you know and so we kind of bring that to the movies too we're always looking to see and sometimes we're reading in and something that's not there but but it doesn't matter if you see it there and no one sees the same movie so if you see it there it's there whether or not it's intended by the filmmaker but very often it is intended by the Mm. filmmaker even early on before uh, characterizing uh, queer people on the screen was literally illegal where the Hollywood production code prevented filmmakers from explicitly representing gay or lesbian people. But they were always there if you sort of read between the lines or knew what to look for. Yeah,
0: well it's, it's interesting how before all those codes came in there was actually more and then it got really suppressed, didn't it? That's
1: true, and I think there was a lot more acceptance on the screen. Audiences you know, a large segment of the audience might not have known that a Franklin Pangborn character who was sort of always the, the fussy hotel clerk, you know, clearly that was supposed to be a, not necessarily a gay character, you know, but somebody who was a sissy character they would call them you yeah know? And there was I suppose
0: there wasn't the same language was there so perhaps there weren't the same legal kind of Hardships for gay people because there wasn't really a recognition of it at all, in a sense. Well, it
1: was uh, the forces of repression came in Mm. uh, from you know the church and the sort of more right-wing organizations who were looking at not only the way what movies were depicting, but the lifestyles of the people who made the movies Mm. themselves. So there was a swing to the to the right, and the studios were afraid that censorship would come in by the government. So instead of uh, waiting for that to happen, they developed a set of self-imposed rules. Their own censorship. Their own (laughs) self-censorship, exactly. So as part of that long list of things that you weren't allowed to do on screen was sex perversion. So they didn't explicitly Ah. say that you weren't allowed to show gay or lesbian people on screen, but sex perversion Mm. was was sort of what they meant. So, but, you know, they still were able, clever directors were still able to find ways to, to represent This, like in Alfred Hitchcock, was famous for doing that in in more than one movie, Rebecca. He had Uh uh, Rebecca and Strangers in a Train and Rope specifically, that were characters who could be read as, as gay.
0: Well, it made me think of. I actually worked as a production coordinator a few years ago on a British film that was a bit of a sort of answer to the celluloid closet called A Bit of Scarlet. I don't know if you heard no, of that. No, I've heard of it, but I
1: haven't seen that. Oh,
0: right. You actually worked on that, sort of sourcing a lot of the clips when I graduated out of college. And it mm. was it was really fun to do, sort of looking at those, looking for those references. We, we've got a lot, a lot of sort of camp films and the carry on films. Oh, yeah. Um, so it
1: was focusing on British films mostly? It was focusing
0: on British films, yeah, because I think we, we just wanted to. Give it a bit, narrow it down a little bit, I suppose. But it, it was really interesting, and I, I'd just be interested to know where you think we're at now. Obviously, we have film festivals like this where it's brilliant, we see lots of queer people on the screen, but it's interesting, I think, to some extent, in in terms of the big films that get wide distribution and publicity and what's on TV, perhaps we're still not represented that much.
1: Well, it's, it really does come down to economics, you know, yeah. the, at least in terms of the Hollywood movies. It's rare to see a gay or lesbian hero, you know, being the lead of the movie because the studio is a business and they feel that they would alienate large segments of the audience. If they told a story that was explicitly gay or lesbian, so usually we're relegated more to the sidelines. You know, once in a while there'll be a Milk or a Brokeback Mountain. Yes, fantastic. You know, films. great films. Yep. Yep. You know, uh, on the other hand, you know, when Vito was writing his book, he noticed that in so many of the films that did depict gay or lesbian characters, they ended up dying at the end, or committing suicide, <laughs> yes. or being murdered, or you know, uh, having a tree Absolute. fall on them, like Absolutely. in the Fox. Absolutely, Tragedy. You know, and then yes. tragedy, and yep. um, that certainly has changed quite a bit. But yep. if you look at some of the the biggest successful mainstream Hollywood movies with gay or lesbian characters that does happen at the end Philadelphia Milk Brokeback Mountain uh, Brokeback Mountain you know so these are all (laughs) they're great they're great movies but you do still tend to have some kind of martyrdom uh, at the end of the film But we have so many more types of depictions. I'm sure Vito would have a lot to say about how we're depicted on film. I
0: know, it's a shame. I wish he was around to...
1: Believe me, I do too. (laughs) Yeah, Um, to say uh, what
0: he thought. But I think what's interesting is all those films we just mentioned are all about male characters. And I think to some extent that has moved forward a little bit, male representation. But I think seeing sort of female characters in love with each other is still... That seems perhaps more marginalised. I don't know because we, we are, here in the UK we had um, a lesbian drama recently called Lip Service, and because it felt like all the audience was so wanting to see themselves represented because they were so starved and that so desperate that a lot of people were really critical about it and really bitchy, you know, oh, and it yeah. was just a fun soapy kind of drama, but. People were so critical because it was the only thing. You they know not latch to, onto They it.
1: wanted to represent everybody. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the Kids Are All Right was was a successful film. Of course, in the that States. That was a brilliant. One, you know, but yes. that was done independently. That was done by a not filmmaker.
0: Through a major studio. It was
1: released by a studio, but, but it wasn't made by a studio. It was by yeah. a filmmaker who just had to tell this story and was able to, even with big stars attached to it, yeah. Annette Benning, Julianne Moore, you know, Mark Ruffalo, she still had a, a tough time getting it financed. So I know Vito was somebody who encouraged us to make our own. Movies and to tell our own stories. Yes. So he supported films like in the 80s, like Desert Hearts, uh, oh, yes. you know, classic, lesbian classic. It's so great. Or yeah. Parting Glances, it was an, a gay yeah. film that he supported. So, and we need to have a place to, to show these films. So, film festivals, obviously, Vito was a huge supporter of film festivals. In fact, he would show gay themed films to his colleagues in the early gay liberation movement oh yes and so he he had screenings even before there was even such a thing as gay film festivals. Oh, I see he you had, make
0: your own he yeah. made
1: his own and he, yeah. he he called them firehouse flicks and they weren't always gay films you know that yeah. he would show them at the gay activist alliance headquarters the firehouse yes, yes. and so he created community through showing movies people who wouldn't necessarily get involved with gay politics they would love to go see Auntie May or The Sound of Music so these weren't even gay films but they were films with gay appeal so he knew the importance of creating community through film and, yeah. and the film festivals that we have today particularly this one that we're at now yeah. certainly foster that
0: Absolutely. Well, tell us a bit about, obviously, The Lloyd Closet eventually published in 1981. I think it had a hard right. time getting that published. T- tell us a bit about that sort of culture in the 80s, because that was when I was sort of growing up and starting to realize I was gay. And I th- I think it was actually one of the most homophobic decades of all, you know, even though I guess we think gradually gay rights have moved forward. You had Reagan in power and we had Thatcher, and, you know, yep. the emphasis was very much on traditional family and well, yeah. obviously the AIDS crisis as well. Well, in
1: 1981, when Vito published The celluloid Closet, the New York Times wouldn't even say the word gay Mm. I don't know what what year it was but it wasn't until the late 1980s that they actually would use the word gay and now it's it's, it's hard to believe that you (laughs) know and I think certainly the AIDS epidemic and that crisis pushed things forward much more quickly then oh. it would have without it. I think yeah. you know that suddenly the subject was being talked about because it was, there was such an urgency to it, and it of and also so many people had suffered from AIDS and died, and it was being neglected in the U.S. But it wasn't until someone like Rock Hudson, a movie star, was publicly known to have AIDS and then died of AIDS, yeah. that was when really things took a turn, and we couldn't be ignored or marginalized anymore because now somebody quote unquote important had AIDS. You know, yes, it's Vita shocking, was very critical wasn't it? of that. Um, yeah.
0: How slow. The, the government were to sort of fund any research or treatment and how the AZT, you know, was so expensive. Yeah,
1: we tried to depict that in Vito, the neglect and the, the dismissal of this as a crisis early on, in the early mm-hmm. days, even in the times when thousands and thousands of people were getting ill, and the uh, the inaction of the government, the inaction of the medical community, Not you know. And so we did depict that, and Vito was one of those people who, who saw that early on, and he had a television show in New York City he did the first television program devoted to the subject of AIDS and he had Larry Kramer on and there was a moment in one of the episodes where he's Directly ad- addressing the community and telling them that this is a crisis and we have to do something about this, and that don't listen to people who say this is a gay disease. You know, this is yeah. a, a disease that is attacking gay men, and the only people who are going to save us is ourselves. Mm. And I found that so incredible, p- incredible, and powerful. And then later, uh, he was one of the founding members of, of ACT UP, yeah. uh, which has been depicted now in, in other films. You know, one of the Oscar nominated films this year was How to Survive a Plague. Oh yes, you know, yeah, about the creation of ACT UP. So I mean, it's it's really incredible that. Vito was part of the movement from the very, very beginning through the AIDS epidemic. And so telling his story was really a way to talk about how the gay and lesbian community emerged from the shadows and emerged from the pre stonewall era through the sort of massive coming out of the early 70s, through the AIDS epidemic, and that's only 20 years. It's really incredible how much Mm. happened in 20 years.
0: It is amazing, isn't it? It really is. And it was interesting how, I mean, Vito himself was sort of really mobilized by the Stonewall riots, um, because it made me think a bit of, there's a film being shown at this festival, Betty Bourne, as documentary, and he's in some ways a sort of British kind of similar kind of character, a very interesting actor who was involved with the early GLF meetings in the oh, I can't and wait the to first pride marches I
1: was told that Vito actually was instrumental in pushing him forward too oh, really? because Vito wrote about I talked to the, to the director last night and Vito wrote about Betty in one of the gay newspapers. Oh, and that's uh, interesting. Uh, I don't know if that's in the film, but I found that interesting. Because Vito did spend some time here. He worked for a gay newspaper here. And ah. he spent a few years in London writing and, and being a film critic. And yeah. he loved it here.
0: Well, I did see sort of see some parallels. Because I know Betty went over to New York as well and was, was performing with a drag troupe there.
1: Oh, okay,
0: okay. And of course, I mean, there are, to some extent, I felt some parallels with with Harvey Milk as sure. well. and.
1: Well, Vito never wanted to be a uh, elected official. He didn't want no. to be a politician. You know, Harvey was certainly had that, of that course, in him. Yeah. Um, and I do think that they met. But Vito was much more interested in being a citizen activist. Right. He didn't really believe in the uh, that you could really accomplish much being a part of an institution. You know, or being part of a, what, you know, because a, you get tied up in red yeah, tape. Yeah, there's politics and, and yeah. red tape. So he really felt that we could do more if regular people just stood up and did what they could yeah. so I wonder if he had lived if he would have become part of some institution a more of a, an established political organization I don't know I feel like he was too much of a rebel for for that you know oh really and yeah. so I feel like he would say it's, it's up to us to stand up and do what we can
0: yeah perhaps uh, almost a, a modern day British equivalent would be someone like Peter Tatchell I don't know if, if yeah, you know, I'm him. familiar
1: with him. I'm sure Vito and, and Peter Tatchell knew each other or had some. Encounters. Yes, I, I'm sure but they. He's still would out there, you know, he's, doing he's his always thing.
0: Always getting beaten up at demos. Oh, and bless him! <laughs> and kind of getting into all kinds of scrapes for our for our rights. What is next? Well, just tell us what's next for the film. It's out on Vito's out on DVD.
1: Vito's out on DVD here in the UK, and it will be introduced to an audience who didn't get a chance to see it mm. uh, in its festival run. And so I. I'm very excited about the film continuing its life on DVD. We have included some bonus material on the DVD that's not in the film, some interview outtakes, and also some clips of Vito, including the clip I was just telling you about of him directly addressing the gay community about the the AIDS crisis. So I hope people look at that. There's also some wonderful footage and the extras of... uh, Lily Tomlin and, uh, and yeah. Vito and they were very close friends and she's in the film and you can never get enough of Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Dressed as her character who goes to the gay bar oh, yes. to offer the, the quiche of peace <laughs> from the, the straight community to the gay community. So there's a bunch of that on the DVD. So and I particularly hope younger people will see this film because the part of the reason, as I mentioned, we made it was to tell the story of the, the LGBT movement from yeah. Stonewall through act up through Vito's eyes. Yeah, And so I feel like there's along the way you're gonna get a lot of information and in a history lesson without it really feeling like a history lesson
0: because it's a very personal because it's journey. his journey right yeah definitely and what was it like sort of tracking down all of that archive of him? Was that easy to find? Or? Oh, there
1: was so much stuff out there. I mean, I worked on the Cellular Closet documentary. That was my first job ah, in the right, business. Okay. So when I worked on that film, Vito had just passed away. But Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman, the filmmakers, they had all of his research material there in the oh, office. Oh,
0: wow. Which must have been because he worked on it for about 10 years. He worked or on
1: more? it for a decade, exactly. Yeah, so there must be so much. Yeah, but also Rob and Jeffrey interviewed Vito for the Sailor Closet because they knew they wanted Vito on camera just to to talk about the genesis of the Sailor Closet. So I had a, a long interview with Vito about that but also they made another film called Common Threads about the Names Project and the AIDS quilt that Uh Vito's in and they did a long interview with Vito where he talked about his entire life growing up, Ah, Stonewall, writing in the Cellular Closet and of course his relationship with Jeffrey Sebchik, who Vito became his caretaker and then Jeffrey passing away Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. act up the whole story. So I knew this interview existed so Many many years later, when I decided to make the film, I knew that this could be the backbone of the film, and yeah. and have Vito tell his own story right, as much as right, possible. Yes. So, okay. that was important. And then, uh, various people who've interviewed Vito over the years came forward and provided audio audio cassettes of Vito's interview. So, we really were able to keep him very present and alive in the film. Yeah, yeah. which was very very important. And then, of course, other people in his in his family, his brother and his cousin, who everyone loves, and and. Uh, People like Larry Kramer and Armistead Montben and Lily Tomlin were there to tell the story as well.
0: Wow, fantastic. And what's next for the I Am Divine movie? What's was Am, that on tour? <laughs> I Am
1: Divine is on tour. We're just at the beginning at this point of our yeah. journey with the film and we're going to be playing in many, many festivals all over the world and, and spreading divinity everywhere. <laughs> and what's next? I don't know. Ask me uh, a couple months from now. Right, we'll have so yeah, you're
0: not working on the next one just yet.
1: The next film is called Tab Hunter Confidential, oh, right. which we've just started filming. And oh, wow. it's the story of Tav Hunter, who was a, a gigantic movie star in the 1950s, one of the biggest stars of that time, also a recording star. And, of course, he had, was keeping a very big secret at the time, which <laughs> I, there, you can probably guess that he was right. living a gay life, ah, uh, but okay. being presented to the, the, the movie-going public as the boy next door. Yeah. And so okay. many years later, he's still with us, and he's wrote a book talking about it, what it was like, being presented as one thing but in reality being something very different and so the film is inspired by his book and also interviews with people who knew him and went on studio arranged dates with him and so it's a real it's a kind of a peek behind the the curtain of of Hollywood and how stars were created and about a very charismatic one of the most beautiful men ever to be on film I I think and um, so I'm happy to reintroduce him to the public and particularly with younger people who might not know his story
0: brilliant there's a bit of a a common thread of kind of introducing these characters that people younger generations might not know about i
1: hope so somebody told me that uh last night that seeing divine and also vita was sort of like cpr it got them very motivated you know and i hope that the tab story will do that too because tab it's also even though he, he was a big movie star he really had to learn how to to be at peace with who he was he didn't want to like rock hudson get married for appearance's sake you know he knew who who he was and he wanted to be that he couldn't live a lie really even though he was being presented as quote-unquote straight movie star yeah that was in a sense a role he was playing so he's very much at peace with who he is now and is ready to tell this story which is very much against the grain of who he is he's a very private person but i think he understands that now it's a very very different time and people are ready to hear this this story
0: Wow! Well, I look forward to hearing more and more of the stories that you want to uh, tell us, Jeffrey. Thanks so much for talking to Thank us. Thank you. Thank you.